So Money episode 1507, Ramit Sethi, founder of I Will Teach You To Be Rich and host of the new Netflix show, How To Get Rich. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I never really learned about money. I'm paying for it now. You can't get a rich life without taking control of your money. You have a checking account for your dog and not a retirement account. You don't need to call me out like that, even though that's why you're here. Welcome, welcome to So Money, everybody. Kicking off the week with the big news in personal finance, there's a money show on Netflix. You just heard a clip of it. It's called How to Get Rich, and it stars and features none other than our friend of the show and friend in real life, Ramit Sethi, who is the New York Times bestselling author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich. This show takes his strategies, his road-tested advice from over two decades of help people to the screen. And we have Ramit on the show today, giving us the play-by-play, the behind the scenes, how he works with people across the country to help them achieve their richest lives while in true Ramit style, spending extravagantly on the things they love and still save. Here's Ramit. Ramit Sethi, welcome back to So Money, the moment uh, we've all been waiting for. I've been secretly waiting for. I'm good at keeping secrets, although I didn't know too much. I just knew that you had this big TV show that was going to hit and rock the world at some point in the future. And boy, has it ever. Your Netflix show. Yes, you heard that right, everybody. Netflix show starring you, Ramit Sethi, How to Get Rich airing now on Netflix. I was actually a little late to this podcast because I was watching it in the middle of the day. (laughs) This text message is hilarious. I texted Farnoosh. I'm like, hey, are we still on? And she's like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm actually watching your show. I was like, this is actually the best text message. (laughs) Can you post that on social media? Yeah. So good. It is so good. And I'm not just saying this because I respect and admire you as a colleague and a friend, but you know, I've had my day with television and I'm so, for me, like I, I I feel like I got like dragged through the mud trying to create television shows in the two thousands. And I was so young and like so vulnerable to the whole process. You have not only changed the game for the viewer who's watching something about money and making it really entertaining, but I feel like the behind the scenes, because I'm also following your, your emails and your play-by-play from the BTS, you are, and you know this, right? You're changing the way shows get done. Important shows like these that are in the reality space where you are the executive, an executive producer on the show. You had your hand in a lot of the decisions. Do you know that's so rare? That does not happen. Uh, um, Hearing you say this, it's like, it's like you have an apartment with a nice view and you kind of forget about it until somebody comes over and they're like, what a beautiful view. And it really makes you appreciate what you have. You know, I respect you and your work in TV. You've been in it for a long time. You did all different parts of the process. So to hear you say that really means a lot. I appreciate that. Yes. Well, it it can't be said enough, but let's talk about the show. I have so many notes. I haven't, I'm like, I'm deep into like episode two right now. Great. 
I love how the show is very integrative. It, it doesn't like drag with one couple or one person for 35 minutes or 40 minutes because I think we've learned a lot about pacing after so many attempts to create shows like you got to keep it moving. You got to keep it moving. You have so many great characters. You're wonderful. I love how too, it's not just about being in the person's house for 35 minutes. We go to your office, we go on the street, you really keep it moving. And I, I just from a production standpoint, again, I really, really appreciate that. That obviously seemed intentional. Thank you. Yeah, you notice all these details. Okay, of course, somebody from the TV world notices these details, the pacing of it, even the first three minutes, I'm always, whenever I'm going on podcast now, I'm like encouraging everybody, watch the first three minutes and send me a note. Tell me what you notice because you'll see certain things in this show. And, you know, what does it tell you about the way we're talking about money? Yeah. And certainly at the end of episode one, <clears throat> there's there's a lot of things we did. But ultimately, for me, I think that money, people think of money as boring. And for a lot of people, it is. It's boring. It's restrictive. It's guilt inducing. And that's not me. Like, I don't dress like that. I don't talk like that. I wanted to create just the way I created my blog 20 years ago. Like I'm sitting here talking with a friend, like, Mm -hmm. come on, you got to get this thing going. Let's just do the asset allocation thing right now. Come on. And when I got the chance to meet people from all different parts of the country, all different walks of life, and I didn't know anything about them. All I knew was their name and I had access to their financials. So I looked at them. I go through the financial files. I try to guess, maybe this is the situation, but I don't really know until I meet them. And I think that's part of the magic of the show is Mm -hmm. you don't know anything about them. I don't know anything Mm -hmm. about them. And we find out together. Yes. It did not feel scripted in those scenes. Yeah. Uh, No. And want to hear something else Ramit refused to do because I also like I stalk your email and stuff is that you didn't wear the earpiece. Yeah. Let let me talk about that. So Mm -hmm. um, this was my first time ever doing a show like this. I've done morning shows and stuff, but never like this. So I meet the production team. I meet my showrunner who's amazing and just everybody on the crew is awesome. And when we were kind of getting to know each other, we're talking about like, what are my expectations? What are theirs? And one of the things they wanted me to do was to wear an earpiece. And I was like, why do you want me to do that? And they go, well, if, you know, a conversation's dragging or something, uh, uh, we, we need to signal you, like, we're ready to wrap it up, okay? They have limited camera time. It's very expensive every minute we're rolling. And I just flat out refused. I said, I'm not going to do that. And they were kind of surprised because I'm a first-time TV person, mm-hmm. season one, And I was usually amenable to most things, but I said, I'm not going to do that. And they were like, why? I said, my reputation is all I have. And if someone even gets a glimpse of an earpiece in my ear, they will think that the entire thing that I do is fake. And there is nothing fake about this. Like, I don't know anything about these individuals and couples until I meet them. And so when I said it like that, they were like, okay. And Mm -hmm. we worked out a signaling system so that if we needed to wrap it, they were just basically like, wrap it up. And, um, I'm so proud that just like my business, you know, I wanted to do it my way and Mm -hmm. Netflix gave us really broad creative control. The team in the field, we were sort of figuring it out as we went with certain things, other things we were extremely intentional about. And, um, you never really know until you see the final product, but, uh, I'm so happy to hear that you like it and millions of other people are watching it. 
I do. I think so many stars have to align in order for a television show to be successful. Also true with other things like courses and books, but I feel like with those other categories of launches, the creator has a lot of control more than a television show. But in this case, you're sort of rewriting that script. But tell us about that. Again, I want to go into the show, but like, I just think it's important for people to know. And so they appreciate this because it's not like so much else that you watch on television in this genre where you have a host and an expert leading conversations and trying to change people's lives. There's so much behind the scenes that is out of that person's control. For stars to align, there's the network, there's the production company, there's everybody that you cast. There's then you had COVID, but you always kept a positive head and spin. You were like, the more time this takes, the better it will be. Yeah. That, that is a great mindset. Well, okay. So um, this, when this initially started, Netflix reached out to me during COVID and I was shocked. I didn't even believe it was from them. I, I double clicked on the from part of the yeah, email. Yeah, it's like, spam. There's right? no way this is from, and then it said at netflix.com. And I was just like, like now I've learned always be rolling always have the camera rolling because those moments are magic. I wish I was rolling at that moment. Of course, I had no idea to because the facial expression I had was just like pure shock. And I I went to my wife and I was like, babe, you got to look at this email. Like, where were you in the house? Was it daytime? Was it nighttime? It was daytime. It was the middle of the afternoon. I still remember exactly the person who reached out and she said, hi, Ramit. Um, you know, we'd be interested in sitting down for a meeting with you if you're open to it. Um, Should we contact you directly or do you have representation? First of all, I didn't even know what representation was. (laughs) Like, I'm like a tech dork who writes a blog and a newsletter and now social media. I didn't know what that was. So I take it over to my wife. After I look at the, it's at netflix.com. And which is important because in TV, there's a lot of production companies Mm -hmm. and they're always hunting for people who have audiences. Some of them are, some of them are good. I met some really good ones, like the one who did the show, but there are others who are kind of ambulance chasers. So I was like, (laughs) this has got to be a production company. Nope. It was Netflix. So talk to my wife. I was not like jumping for joy because I never started what I do to do a TV show. I never thought I would Mm -hmm. do TV. You know, I like what I do. I like my business. And we talked about it for a while. And finally, I realized um, I've been working on this for almost 20 years at the time. I, I know my message. I believe in my message. It's been field tested with millions of people. I'm ready to take it to a bigger level. And I actually like that I was really uncomfortable because I don't go into people's houses and work with them for weeks and months at a time. So I knew this was going to challenge me. And... Um, Anyway, so the process begins, we start discussions, et cetera. And, you know, it can go fast or it can go slow. I actually love that it went slow. Slower mm-hmm. means mm-hmm. more time to fix my website, more time to get in the shape that I wanted to be in, mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. time to practice my media <clears throat> skills. So for me, slow was great. And I enjoyed the waiting process and, and taking the time to do it right. Well, you look like you were having fun for sure, but you're also honest in that, you know, you go into shows like these and there is a pressure to try to transform people's lives because, you know, after all, uh, we need to give the viewers a payoff. Uh, but you were honest. You're like some people you just can't help. And that happened pretty quickly. Now I haven't watched all of the episodes to know if they come back, but your you're first couple, see. Matt and Amani. Yep. 
So this really spoke to me in some ways. My husband's not a stay-at-home dad, but I am the breadwinner and I've obviously written about it. It's no secret. And I was immediately invested in their struggles. They were ultimately not game. After the first meeting, they got way overwhelmed. I could see both. I could see where both spouses was where they were coming from. So she was the breadwinner, had a lot of resentment, I think, around that. He felt underappreciated, not respected. She was really controlling a lot of the money. They had a lot of gender role expectations that were messing up how they were able to ultimately speak speak around money and organize their money. And so what well, I guess you won't tell us because we want to watch the whole series. But what was going on in your mind as you were in their home? And I, at one point, you told him to shut up, essentially. You were like, stop talking. You're not doing yourself any favors. But I almost felt really, I felt bad for him. I was a little uh, a team Matt there for a mm. little bit. Uh, I could see where he was coming from. Well, I'll tell you, first off, the experience walking into a family's home and they welcomed me in. You know, I met their kids and they have a beautiful home. That right there is very intimate because in America to be welcomed into somebody's home, first and foremost, that, yeah. that is intimate. Then to sit down, that was the first scene I ever shot in somebody's house on this show. And it is the first scene that you see in the, in the first few minutes of the show. Um, we jumped right into it. You know, there's this thing people say, the cam- for, you'll forget about the cameras. I didn't believe it because we have a pretty big footprint. We have multiple cameras, audio, et cetera. But it's totally true. When it was the three of us talking, money is so intimate inside of someone's intimate home that it's almost like we we all just, everything else vanishes. So you, and you'll see that because it's a very layered, very uncomfortable scene about mm-hmm. money. And actually I loved them for being honest. Mm-hmm. I did. It's really hard to be that candid about money. And one of the big realizations I've had in the last few years, certainly on the shows, people will be more honest than you would ever believe about money. The folks who come on my podcast and they share every bit of how much they make, how they have 800K of debt, they have $13 million in the bank. I talk to them all. And now they do it on camera um, mm-hmm. for Netflix. So um, I think that the reason Matt and Amani have really spoken to a lot of people in different areas is that we all intuitively understand a relationship where a man earns more than a woman and some dynamics that may emerge from that. But what happens when it flips? Well, Farnoosh, you know that better than anybody, um, including personally and professionally, you've written about it. We don't quite know, we don't have a mental map of what that means. And as we see that, it is challenging for a lot of us to really decide how we feel about it. For that couple, I almost feel like the exercise before you get to the money, you got to get to the conversations about what, what does providing mean for each of us in this relationship? You know, there's financial providing, but then there's also providing and supporting the household in a myriad other ways. And, you know, he said, I don't feel valued. And it's like, welcome to the world of stay-at-home moms, right? Like he was, in some ways I was like, well, and she said that to him. She's like, you're you're basically like, and he goes, yeah, but you know what? Women are the, women are the most likely to call for a divorce. (laughs) (laughs) Women lead the divorces in this country. And often it's because they're in that in that role of being undervalued, underappreciated. We don't value domestic work as much as we do career professional work. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, I'm, I'm invested in them. I want to, I'm rooting for them and I hope that they will come around. Great. 
Okay. You talk a lot about how we have this obsession with real estate in our country. I'm excited to get to the MLM episodes, Mm -hmm. but uh, so far I've learned about your philosophies around the rich life, which you're sharing with your, um, what do you call them? Cast members or profiles? Uh, Guests or cast. Yeah. Cast. Yeah. So you touch on some themes and the pillars of the show. So rich life, defining that. And then there's sort of this idea of rich uh, owning real estate as a rite of passage into being financially independent. And well, that's what people think. Wealthy. That's and, right. That's what and, people and think. And what I say to people is like, hold on a second. Uh, hold, hold on a second. That's like saying in order to have a cohesive outfit, you have to be wearing a three-piece suit. That's right, not true. Right. Maybe if you want to, or if you're going to a certain event, but just like you don't need to wear a three-piece suit. You don't need to own a house in America to be successful. You don't need a house for generational wealth. I've created generational wealth and I don't own a house. In fact, I rent by choice. Mm -hmm. And so when I said this, and I'm so happy that we put this right up front in the show because it's almost like someone in a show saying, "Um, actually the sky's green because in America, real estate is religion. Hmm. And we all just have this, ineffable belief around us that of course you got to buy a house. That's what being successful is. And what I wanted to point out with really vivid examples is that maybe, maybe sometimes you can someday I'll buy a house, I'm sure, but it, you don't have to. And sometimes it can actually be a better financial decision to rent. Mm -hmm. The fact that so many of your castmates, cast members didn't know the reality of their finances. They didn't know what was in their checking account. They didn't know how much they were spending a month on video games. Okay. That was, um, that was your Philadelphia couple, Donnell and Monique. Um, that was, (laughs) that one was like, I don't know if I could, if I could tolerate video game budgets. But, But can I tell you? Yeah. So I love that like so many people on social media, I'm seeing their comments and they're like, I can't believe how little people talk about it. I can't believe how people just spend without thinking. And to me, I'm going, I've been seeing this for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Like that's why nothing phases me on the show. I've seen it. Nothing. I've seen it all. Like Mm -hmm. I've seen it. And in fact, when I see something these days that shocks me, which it does a few times, I'm like delighted because I'm like, wow. So the fact that we don't actually know how much debt we have. That's common. 90% of the people I talk to don't even know how much they owe. The fact that people don't know when their debts can be paid off. That's so common. 95% of people I talk to don't know that. But there are some other surprising things. Um, many people don't know how much they make. That is shocking. You go, how can you not know how much income you make? And the answer is most people live month to month. Mm-hmm. It's almost like driving in the fog. All, all you can do is drive with 50 feet of visibility in front of you. And one of the gifts that I try to give people is to say, okay, let me help you shine a light a little further. Let's zoom up and let's talk about what's going to happen in the next year. Mm-hmm. And if you have the ah, breathing room to be able to do that, suddenly you can build some space. You can say, oh my gosh, we're probably going to take a holiday trip in December what if we could start putting aside a little money? Oh my gosh, our car's getting a little old. It might need a repair in June. And it just gives you this ability to go from defense to offense. Mm -hmm. 
I really appreciated the diversity that the show brought to life, diversity of who they represented as, you know, struggling with money, but also the fact that you could be making, whether it's 60,000 a year or 25,000 a month, single mom, couple, independently, you know, not unmarried, that everybody has their money hiccups. And often it's not about the money. Like this show is about money, but it's really about, what would you say? Life psychology, yeah, I think our mothers, a- <laughs> like how we grew up. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's about us in the womb. Uh, I, I do think that, thank you for, for pointing out the diversity. That was really important to me personally and to our team. Um, and diversity comes in so many ways. One of the things that we, we all deeply have this belief about in America is that actually, and across the world, if I just have $5,000 more, Mm -hmm. finally, I feel good. If I have $50,000 more, I'll feel safe. If I have $500,000 more, I'll never worry about it. And my vision is to show people, folks from all all different parts of life, multimillionaires, people with $200,000 in debt, to show you that there are so many commonalities and just having more money is not going to make you feel better about it. But- Mm -hmm. If you can work on two things at once, you really have a great shot at a rich life. Number one, you got to know your numbers. You got to understand the basic language of personal finance. And it's not hard. It's actually kind of cool. The second thing is you have to simultaneously work on your money psychology. That is feeling good about it, not always feeling bad. It's actually connecting money with the things you love, your rich life. If you do those two things, you have a mission. Suddenly your money starts to work for you and you're not playing defense with it. Mm-hmm. This show has not changed your life. I saw that you were still um, taking naps on the couch, probably watching Below Deck. Um, yeah, I, I do love a good reality show myself. That's why I love this show because I'm like, uh, I do this for fun anyway. I'm like, okay, yeah. so like, there's this one uh, part where uh, Christian and Millie, they are, um, they're they're uh, this great couple, and I'm sitting on the couch meeting them, and uh, Christian just casually drops that he lost eighty thousand dollars on a stock. And Millie looks at him and goes, I didn't know that. And I just sat back. I was like, okay, go ahead and discuss it among yourself. Just let the cameras roll. Yeah, roll it. And I was like, do we have any popcorn for me? Cause I'm really enjoying this. So there, there is a certain joy and you can see that. Like I do love getting to the nitty gritty. First mm-hmm. of all, I'm personally entertained, but second, if I'm having fun and the cast is having fun, then we can all have fun talking about money. And even if we're talking about an $80,000 loss, the fact of the matter is we can find a way to find some humor in it, to find some joy, and ultimately to find some real meaning Mm -hmm. versus me coming in there with a clipboard and berating people. I'll never do that. That's not my style. But that's not to say that that hasn't been commercially successful because we know that that is, and even though we know she was doing it maybe as an act, um, Susie Orman, that was her approach, right? In the entire show, like you can't afford this. And it was always with a bit of like, there was like a tough loveness there. Like mm-hmm. you knew, like ultimately she wanted you to win, but it was entertainment to be this caricature. And you are yourself on this show. I know that because I know you IRL. And then I see you on the screen. And I'm like, that's how he talks in real life. That's how he, that's how he dresses. That's your demeanor. Did you feel pressure to, from any like, um, you don't have to name names, but was there pressure to sort of take on a persona because you wanted it to have high quote unquote entertainment value? No. And, and I'm really proud to say that because 
I spent a lot of time getting to know the team first. And in fact, when I was working um, with the production company, Studio Lambert, on developing the show, we spent a lot of time so I could tell them who I am, who I'm not. And I told them, look, the, the worst thing in the world for me, my nightmare would be a show where Ramit Sethi goes and parachutes into some couple in Peoria, Illinois, and berates them for how much they spent on avocados last week. I'm like, I'm not doing that. That's just not me. And it's depressing. Mm-hmm. Instead, I was like, look, here, here are some titles. Like if we were going to name an episode, here's what I would want it to say. Here are some types of couples and individuals that I would want to talk to. Here are for me, the, the things that I find most interesting about money and psychology. And so we got to start with what's juicy, what's going to get me interested, because I know if I'm interested, everybody else is going to be interested. Um, no, I never felt the pressure to put on an act. There were a few times um, where like, I would look to production and say like, gosh, how do I like wrap this up? I'm not sure. Like you see a couple scenes of me sitting in the office and kind of giving my, um, first of all, producers are extremely good at sound bites. Me, I'm like, give me 45 minutes. I have a lot to say. They're like, uh, you have like 12 seconds. I was right. like, all right. But um, no, I never felt pressure to say something that was not me. Is there something that you wish you could have done this season that you just didn't get around to oh, that you're hoping to do another So time? much. I have a list. Of course I have a list. Listen, while I was doing the whole thing, I was like, yeah. all right, I'm new to Hollywood. I'm keeping a list of every Hollywood. single thing I learned. I was like, okay, for, you know, I'll be sitting there during a scene and we're like, shuffling around, I'd be asking the camera guys, like, oh, how can we do that? Lighting, what's up with that? I'm trying to learn because I find it interesting. And these are the best of the best in the world. So I want to know how they think about it, how they structure it. I kept notes um, just because I find it interesting. And I mean, there are a lot of topics that I want to talk about a lot. So uh, I didn't get to everything. It's a season one and we have to be judicious with our editing. But yeah, there's a lot that I absolutely want to cover. Now, by the way, the number of emails, messages that I'm getting, they're like, I want to be on the next season of your show. I go, that's actually kind of interesting that people are volunteering. Because when we did casting for this, nobody knew what this was. We could, In fact, even as we filmed, the people you see on camera did not know that this was a Netflix show. And so, um, yeah, they didn't know. They couldn't what, know. What do they think now? Are they mostly? Uh... Well, you can see them all on social media. And okay, guess what? I'm bringing back the cast onto my podcast to do follow-ups with them. Yes, great. It starts tomorrow. Uh, Matt and Amani are first. And so you can actually okay. see them on my YouTube channel and hear them on my podcast I'm going to check in with them. Where are they a year later? What's up with their financial situation? What they think of being on the show? I want to talk about MLMs briefly. You know, you said there was a lot of stuff that you couldn't cover this season, but you did make time <laughs> for MLMs. Yeah, the big ones. So much. This is important. I mean, it seems maybe like an outlier topic, but it's so tell us how and why it was so important to you to include it in the first season. I'm personally offended when everyday people are victimized by um, anything in the financial world. And so I'm very candid about the things that, for example, I would never want my family to be involved in. Mm -hmm. And the thing that 
the thing that um, really gets me is that I don't think life should be as hard as it is. I don't want it to be easy so everyone just wakes up and everything's handed to you. But sometimes I think, gosh, I wish it was just a little easier to be financially successful. I wish that investing automatically was just a little easier. I wish that we didn't have to understand all of personal finance to find some buried backend load in some prospectus. Nobody even knows what that means. And I wish that people who were pitched MLMs or multi-level marketing schemes, which almost never work, would realize that there are so many better ways to make money. Mm-hmm. And by happenstance, I had the opportunity to meet a young woman who's extremely smart, very savvy, but had gotten involved in an MLM. And I didn't know this until I met her. I had no idea. And when I discovered that, I discovered a lot of other things about the MLM, including actually going to an MLM meetup, which she was like, I'm actually having one. I go, really? I didn't know. And I went, I, she's like, do you want to come? I was like, hell yes, sign me up. And so, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of MLMs. I call them out directly and, um, I don't want people to be, um, involved in them. I want them to, yeah. Well, along those lines, do you think there's room in the show, maybe next season to talk more about, or at least bring a light, shine a light on some of these I wouldn't call MLM like a systemic problem, but it does have this like predatory problem going on, right? That because some people might watch the show and go, well, I can do all these things. I can journal, I can read, I can figure out my rich life. But like if I'm living in a system or working in a system that is not in favor of me yeah. for whatever reason, my, my, my race, my religion, my gender identity, the list goes on. Like what then? And I don't think there's a solution, you know, where a reality show can fix that or show us a, a solution but it is something to show it, right? And say, this is something that we have to reckon with. Yeah. I I don't think that, um, you know, first of all, there hasn't been really a money show created in like 20 years. Susie Orman was really the last major one. I actually like Susie Orman, by the way. I think she's like, she has some really good advice. Um, I thought she was entertaining. Like, great. Um, I think since that show started, we are all broadly much more aware of systemic issues. Although we still have a long way to go for people to understand. For example, whenever I talk about systemic issues on Twitter, you know, I get a bunch of people wearing sunglasses coming out and saying, stick to finance. I go, are you, do you not understand that money is inherently political? I go, Mm -hmm. the reason your housing is so expensive is political. The reason your healthcare is expensive is political. So yeah, trust me, I got a lot to say. Uh, I don't think most of America knows what redlining is. Well, they might learn. I think that most of America does not understand that it is illegal to build something on your own property. They don't understand that. There's a lot of things that are political and I'd love to share it, but I also want to remember this isn't a, uh, like a college lecture, right? It's gotta be entertaining. And I want to reach people in a way that, that they love what they're watching. That's what we Mm -hmm. did with season one of the show. It's not a documentary, right? Well, continuing to watch. Thank you for interrupting my watching so we could do this (laughs) podcast. I mean, what better way to, what better reason to stop watching your, the, the show that you're most obsessed with right now with the actual star of the show? Thank you. Congratulations to you again. And I'm not just like blowing smoke up your ass here. Like I, I truly like admire every step of this and I will be watching and reading and following 
biggest fan. Come back anytime, maybe towards the end, because then I'll have like watched more. Oh, I would love to hear your notes. Yeah, that would be fun. (laughs) I've already started journaling. (laughs) Yes. I will be texting you. Do it, do it, do it. Send me the text. Send me every step. I love it. I will. Thanks so much, Ramit Sethi. Congrats. How to Get Rich is on Netflix streaming worldwide. And be sure to stay tuned for Wednesday's episode. We'll be talking to Aaron Lowry, another OG of personal finance, creator of the Broke Millennial series. Until then, I hope your day is so money. <laughs> 